This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning, Coach Hogs Locker Room. Here we are on a Monday morning. By golly, we are going to get it on. Got a great guest today. We are in also the Melbourne Law Studio. Melvin Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida <clears throat> Fighting Gator. Well, we'll keep that all close to our chest for a while and talk about it perhaps during this hour of our great guest. We're also protected 24-7, 365 by Crime Prevention. John Pastore and Randy Elrad, and sponsored by all the great sponsors you see coming across your screen, which we highlight and feature at the bottom of the hour along with Ward's weather. I got to tell you that... Um, um, my friend today that I have is really my friend. I've known our guests for a long, long time, longer than probably either he or I would want to admit, because we're in our silver, literally in our silver years now. Uh, but uh, Bill Carr played for the Gators in 1966, was an All-American center, and uh, then went on to be to the Army. Uh, that was a difficult thing to avoid then because the Vietnam War was on. Came back from the Army. And uh, began coaching a little bit. Uh, and after the coaching, became an administrator. And at the age of 32, I think, became the youngest athletic director ever at the University of Florida. And from those days, traveled out to the sports consulting business, which I think now he's sort of semi-retired from. But Bill is the most knowledgeable person I know to bring you on the Ward Scott Files about anything you want to cover primarily about college athletics. That is his niche, and he knows it top to bottom, inside out. And anything you want to ask today, put in the chat line. We've got a great former Gator teammate of his watching, Harmon Wages, whom I've interviewed on the show. Great guy. And anything that you all want to talk about or highlight, let me see it in the chat line, and we'll pass it along to Bill. Uh, Bill is comfortably uh, relaxing in his home. In Gainesville, uh, but uh, he's got a lot to say, and I'll egg him on if he dries up on me. I don't think he will. But Bill, welcome to the Ward Scott file, sir. Yes, sir. Good to see you. Good to see you this morning, Ward. Well, you know how long I've been chasing you, and uh, uh, and you came willingly because you are very much interested. And I was thinking about this, Bill. 66 to 23 is about 60 years. And for the large bulk of that 60-year period, college athletics, particularly let's focus on football for a while, did not change much. You know, guys were still, quote-unquote, honest to God, student-athletes, to the extent that you could pull it off. And um, also, you got scholarships. You didn't get paid. You wore a number from which you didn't make money. And you graduated, and 
you stayed in the pipeline and supported the university. And it was all about the university and loyalty to the university. Correct me if I've got something wrong. No, that's it. But now I don't want you to kind of take us through this because it makes me dizzy trying to think about it. We have got something called the collective. We've got something called name, image, and likeness. We've got ridiculous salaries. You and I were talking before we came on the air about the buyout of the Texas A&M flop, if you will. And my golly, take it away. I am lost, my man. Well, it's, it is a, um, it's an astounding circumstance. Uh, what is happening in intercollegiate athletics right now? It's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm incredulous. I, I am blown away by the degree of transformation that has occurred, uh, in the last, uh, five years, but it has been expedited so much about, uh, uh, about the time that, that the, uh, that the pandemic began. Uh, it, it, it was accelerated by that, uh, in many ways because of the, the ban on attendance at events and all the things that went into it. But, um, the bottom line is that uh, the, the distinction between amateur athletics and professional endeavor, professional athletics, um, is, uh, is being erased. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is that endeavors are going to change. There's going to be some change that's going to occur over time because of technology or, uh, pr- human preference and all those kind of things. But, um, uh, my position is that we need to be very, uh, very well informed by what changes we embrace, and the technological changes are the ones that uh, are most uh, are most logical or most practical to endorse and to absorb within our systems. And so, uh, the whole thing about uh, the difference between amateur and professional sports, you know, is is something that. Uh, uh, there's a, there's an enor- enormous history about it. And when you look back at, um, at Olympic era, you know, uh, the, the essence of amateur athletics is, is the benefit to the experience of the participant. And the accident of that endeavor of amateur athletics is the, uh, is the fact that People enjoy being spectators. They enjoy watching the and and uh, observing and following those competitions. And uh, surprise, surprise, it generates revenues. Well, what has happened in college athletics is that the revenue generation portion, the spectator accident dimension, uh, has become so successful that it has overwhelmed the essence period uh, endeavor. Uh, with the outcome of the positive impact and the transformative educational and experiential leadership preparation for life that is the 18 to 22-year-old period of life. Uh, it's a it's a human reality. I don't care if you're in college or where you are, if you're in the military or if you went straight to the workforce. The 18 to 22-year-old period is is when things change for you and you're making your direction uh, in many areas of your life, and it determines what you're going to be doing for the most part from there on out. 
although that in itself is has uh, changed because now people are uh, are transforming into different types of of professional endeavor you know that is, that is more so today than it was uh 30 30 years ago but the bottom line is that intercollegiate athletics uh, has absorbed now what is called the the uh, name, image, and likeness endeavor, which is a, uh, in many ways, is a, is a function ward of the of the reality of the digital impact of of all the social media type activity and the ind- individual that can get a profile and make some income off of that. I, you know, we we saw the endorsement of of NIL of uh, by the uh, Olympic endeavor in the year 2000. That's the year when when it was first permissible for a for a um, Olympic athlete in the for the United States of America teams to gain that revenue through the NIL was in the year 2000. And unfortunately, we in college athletics did not absorb it in some way during that period of time because it would make it much more practical to try to sustain some of the amateur dimensions that we now are see be, uh, threatened being threatened by the National Labor Relations Board, which is claiming that all student athletes must be employees. And uh, that is uh, that is the line that we need to draw in the sand, in my opinion, and not just in the sand, but in the legislation through Congress and any other uh, legal entity that can properly structure intercollegiate athletics looking ahead. So I'll pause now and and, uh, and ask for your comment or question from anything that I've said as an introduction here, but we are definitely in that transformative period for intercollegiate athletics, and my desire is to be an informed voice trying to help, from a historical perspective, the people that are making decisions now to help them understand better some of those foundational uh, forms of, of endeavor that, uh, that structured intercollegiate athletics and made it the very special treasure that it is, because it's what I want my grandchildren. I have eight grandchildren, and I've, each of them has some kind of skill that could potentially put them in the student-athlete role in the future, and I would love them to have a similar experience to what I had. And and our friend Harmon, who's on the line, I understand. Great to have Harmon with us. Well, you know, you mentioned something I hadn't even thought about. You know, I always think of everything, of course, Bill. Of course. I had forgotten about the Olympics. They went commercial, I'm going to use that word. Yes. Long before college athlete did. Exactly. In the year 2000, the first, that was the first Olympics, uh, when, uh, when, uh, the, the NIL names, image and likeness endeavor, uh, was, uh, authorized for U.S. Olympic athletes. And, uh, we in college athletics, that's right about the time following the uh, the Supreme Court decision in 1984 and all the litigation that followed that, that's right about the time the big money started coming to college athletics. And that is when I and my peers 
as athletic directors, and I was a former athletic director at that time. I'd already gone into my consulting and executive search business, helping people hire, helping schools hire athletic directors and head coaches and conference commissioners doing that type of work. Uh, but we failed to transform our industry so that we fulfilled our fiduciary role to, to student athletes better. We should have done some things creatively, not to make them employees, but what if, what if we had, uh, but to use the money more wisely than what we do now, like uh, paying coaches absurd contracts of a hundred million dollars over a 10 year period. And that's why Texas A&M that just fired Jimbo Fisher will owe him technically, unless they mitigate it in some type of negotiation, they'll owe him 76, 77 million dollars in sanity. And we should have made some changes. What, for example, Ward, if we had said then, we're going to give you some health insurance benefits for the rest of your life, especially uh, tax-free. Uh, those of you who have played uh, the revenue sports in particular, and maybe we could branch it out further depending on what the overhead was. But we wouldn't have gotten into the insane level of contracts that we now have with coaches. Uh, it's, there's just no way to justify that in a, in a uh, tax-exempt enterprise. A 501c3 non-taxable enterprise conducted on a college campus that is paying people 10 million plus million dollars a year. Uh, -uh. that, that is insanity. That is just in, inconsistent with the thesis of it being a, a nonprofit endeavor, higher education. Well, got questions coming in. Um, with all the money being tossed around, how will cheating be stopped? The answer is it won't because the, the, there's always someone who is ready and willing to push the limit, uh, from any type of, uh, ethics in order to be, uh, surreptitiously, uh, crowned as champion. You've always got that element. You're always dealing with that. You have to be prepared to deal with it. It's just like right now, the thing I'm most concerned about from an ethical standpoint in college athletics is the influx of uh, legalized sports wagering for college athletics. It is absolutely uh, a threat beyond measure of any other, other uh, endeavor. And I I hope and pray that, it, uh, that sports... Uh, betting on college athletics can be outlawed some way, somehow, where you can you can bet on uh, on the pro sports, but you can't bet on college sports because there are different things like what's called proposition betting, where the endeavor of one particular single student athlete uh, can be the parameter of betting, and it's very much more difficult to find than uh than the team outcomes and those kind of bets but that's a whole another subject is the sports gambling which is an in, looms over our heads right now well i remember about the time you first came to the university of florida there had been a gambling um scandal at the university with woodruff yes that's right in the in yeah. the previous uh in the previous iteration with bob woodruff as the head coach they had had a gambling thing at florida and um, 
it was a uh, it was a it was a a big problem and uh, a guy who came from my hometown there of uh, Pensacola, John Macbeth, had been the paragon of virtue and had had uh, turned it turned it right. And uh, you know, so that name is has a special place in the history of the University of Florida uh, for the right reasons. Yeah, I remember that when I first came here. I thought, wow. And um, and, and that was when Coach Graves was first coming in, I believe. Yes, the other it was. comes to mind, you know, a Charlie Pell thing couldn't have happened today, could it? Well, the the joke that's made about NIL, names, image, and likeness, is that what it stands for now is now it's legal. Now it's legal. <laughs> I got that's, you. That's the joke. And, and, and literally, in, in many ways, it's true. But any type of inducement, illegal inducement, is, is a, a problem. The reason I can live with in my scheme of, of, of ethics and in, uh, in, in how I look at college athletics and amateur sports is names, image, and likeness, if it is conducted properly, and that's always an assumption that is pre- presumptive, if you will, because you, like I said, there's always someone who's looking to cut corners and, uh, and cheat on everything. I don't care if it's a test in the classroom or if it's uh, at the, at the drugstore making a purchase. There's always that element, and you have to be prepared to contend with it. But it's the the aspect of uh, of having a uh, uh, a test go the right direction is just something you have to uh, you have to endorse and enforce on a daily basis. Well, if I remember, Coach Bell gave a some sort of help to a man who needed some child payment. Uh, that was it. But that leads me to another question. How about these guys turning each other in for things? The least thing they can get to get in that. We got the case of Michigan, for example. Right. Talk about that with Harborough. I mean, talk about the NCAA. That thing- well, the NCAA is a huge, huge disappointment. Uh, I uh, I look at 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 my. Uh, at my career now, and I, I, I can't, I can't believe I resigned from the University of Florida. Uh, that was that was just insanity on my part. The worst decision I ever made in my life was resigning as athletic director after eight years, and um, that's a whole other story. We don't need to get into that. But uh, I wish I hadn't done that. But then the other decision that I regret is that uh, when I left the University of Houston, uh, I, I left the campus setting and I opened a small executive search and management consulting firm that I ran for 25 years. I enjoyed doing that, but I wish that I had stayed on the campus, uh, in the, within the campus setting, uh, whether I was working for an institution as an AD or, uh, as, as a, uh, uh, or at a conference as an associate commissioner or a commissioner, uh, I wish I had stayed in the game and had advocated for adjustments in the in the uh, foundational structure of intercollegiate athletics instead of going into private enterprise. I wish I had done that. I, I would I would like to have been uh, an informed voice uh, advocating 
for adjustments that would enable us to have a better position because we we were we were in an unjustifiable uh spot when when uh when we started paying our coaches multi-million dollar contracts every year and and the, the total now uh is somewhere three quarters of a billion dollars has been will if this if this additional 70 million goes to uh goes to our man Jimbo Fisher uh that will make it the total that's been paid for coaches to not coach their teams will be uh s- somewhere between 700 to 800 million dollars uh almost a billion dollars will have gone to coaches not to coach and we could have used that money to give so many more benefits to higher education and to student athletes it just breaks my heart to think that that what is what happened because my experience with coaches is that the the ones who are the best in the business don't have to be paid those levels of 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 a compensation in order to be attracted to the game and uh, i just think that it is uh you know if somebody is demands that kind of money they can go coach in the NFL and if they're not good enough to coach there then they have to either take what they can get at the college level or go do something else. And coaches are usually pretty practical and have some, uh, have some uh, interaction, human skills that would enable them to work in a lot of different roles in our society. So it's a, uh, it's a, it's a huge challenge to try to make those adjustments. Uh, But I I wish, I wish I had been in, uh, in that, in that, in that role for the last 20 plus years, instead of uh, being in private enterprise, serving intercollegiate athletics uh, commercially, that was, uh, I rue that, but that's, that's life. You make, you make some decisions and you live with them. Along that line, um, I've got here a Wall Street Journal article. Um, the super fan at the center of a scandal on the name of Connor Stallions Yes. Tell tell us about that what you know about that bill. Well, what I the thing that really bothers me the most is that uh that the guy I don't know him. I I don't know him at all. I had never heard of him until this event occurred, but the thing that I that I particularly regret is that he was a former captain in the Marine Corps. And I hate to see him spoil uh the image and the reputation of his former professional endeavor for a captain of the Marine Corps to be doing those things. However, I I don't think that that rule, I think the rule should be changed to allow, to allow uh, uh, institutions and football coaches to go scout other teams. My goodness, the digital age today, we have so much information and we have so much capability technologically to absorb that information. And uh, the only rationale for not allowing that, the only reason that that endeavor, that scouting in person on somebody else's campus is outlawed is because they were trying to limit how much somebody could invest into scouting. My word, the, the, the rule should have been to limit how much you can pay a coach. And, and we had rules that limited how many coaches, but today it's insane what is happening in, uh, in the in the uh in that regard today the thing 
that I most regret about what's going on at the University of Florida. I have enormous respect uh, uh, for the head coach there. Uh, and and I, I just, but I, I was very disappointed with the fact that he hired 60 people to work for him. That's insanity. There's just, there's no justification for that. That can't, you know, and we started spending another $5 million a year running that type of enterprise where, you know, and then you can't go off campus and scout, but you can spend $5 million uh, hiring your own people <laughs> that that can't go off campus and scout. See, I mean, it's it's paradoxical. It's, it's totally inconsistent with the way the rule is, but it, that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, you know, exculpate uh, the Miss Michigan's Michigan for having broken the rule because a rule is a rule. And what you, if you, if it doesn't make sense, get the rule changed. And, uh, that's, that's, that's my judgment on that case. But it is, it is an unfortunate reality that, that he was caught and that Jim Harbaugh is being punished along with Michigan, but that rule should be changed. Uh, and, uh, but Michigan should be pun- punished to some degree because they broke the rule, but get the darn, get the darn rule changed immediately. That, that should, that rule should not be in effect uh, starting the, uh, with the next convention when rules can be changed. Well, is there a hidden motive behind that too? Because we have the exclusive, if you will, marquee teams. And then we have the other teams. For example, here's another Wall Street Journal article I wanted to bring up. James Madison, 9-0. and Nobody's given him any respect. Yep. What's the story on that, Bill? Well, the, the reason they, they are in that category is because they've transitioned They've transitioned from uh, FCS, Football Championship Subdivision, the second level, the secondary level of college football competition. They are in that transitional period, uh, and uh, they are uh, they are not allowed to go to postseason competition. That's part of the umbrage that you must pay in order to make the advancement from F- FCS to the highest level, FBS. And so it's simply a matter of paying your dues and they don't, aren't a privilege to ha- enjoy all the benefits that come to uh, FBS level schools. That is the reason for that. Now that is a, uh, you know, uh, is a, is a dated limitation. But again, if you don't like the rule, change the rule. But in the meantime, they have to be, they have to be uh, in compliance with the rules. I've had the privilege uh, as a consultant to work extensively with James Madison and uh, their athletic director, uh, Jeff Bourne, is a guy that I highly respect and uh, uh, I've really enjoyed working with them uh, in some in some strategic planning and looking for the look looking for the future and hiring coaches and they they are they are an exemplary school so i hate to see this in their circumstance but it's just a part of the transition that every school that's been in that category has had to uh endure how long will that transition take uh, it takes well the the rules change and i'm not sure of the latest uh specific rule but i believe it's a two year period uh and uh but it is uh 
it's 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 ironic that they had that level of development, but they were trying to get into uh, certain conferences. Uh, they wanted to move into Conference USA several years ago, and they couldn't get an appointment there. Uh, and so they wound up moving into the Sun Belt, which is now uh, a stronger league than Conference USA, ironically. So it has inured to their benefit, uh, you know, that that they had that delay because they're, they are now on top of the Sun Belt Conference as a win-loss record, but they're with an asterisk beside their name, not eligible for postseason play in the 23 season. I'm not sure if this is their last year in that limited uh, eligibility or not. I just, that's a, that's a detail I haven't followed, but I just know that, uh, that they are eminently qualified, obviously to have gone uh, undefeated this season is extraordinary. Question here is, should there be a cap on NIL? Well, I, I don't know that there should be a cap on it so much as there should be more uh, more institutional participation. To me, the greatest weakness of NIL right now, because it's it's not it it must it has to be structured as a reflection, as a measurement, the the amount of dollars that can go to the student athlete ostensibly, hypothetically, should be a function of their impact on the on the social media and the marketplace, not upon the competition on the field. You see, and that's where the it gets hazy. The line becomes difficult to discern. How much is a student being paid? Is that athlete being paid because they scored four touchdowns in the last two games uh, versus how much they've helped the their sponsor, the local car dealership, how many how many sales transpired because the endorsement came from this student athlete? How much business did the company gain? You see, that ostensibly that's what NIL is. It's not a function of how much you how much you contributed to the team's success, but rather to the marketplace success of your sponsor. So it's it's not the same as being an employee an employee being paid to be the offensive guard or the or the quarterback that's a whole different paradigm that's a whole different circumstance with with the the dynamic between the coach and the player and that's why i don't want to see student athletes become employees is because it it takes away from what is called the crucible experience it's a the word crucible. We all know what that means. Of course, that's at the steel factory. That is what they do. They take raw materials and they put them into a a fire with enormous pressure and chemicals and the amount of time that's necessary to melt it down and create something new. Well, that is the metaphor of what a student athlete does as a, as uh, in their in their four to five years. Uh, of competition and uh, the crucible is an enormously instructive metaphor that w- we should try to sustain any way we can because regardless again I go back to my earlier point I don't care what you're doing when from the period you're 18 years of age 
to 22, 23, somewhere along in that four to five year period, that is a time of formation for your future. That's when a lot of things happen. A lot of students go into the military. A lot of students go into college. A lot of students go into first-time jobs where they uh, find what they want to do the rest of their life, or at least they get started on that road in the process. And people, they make decisions about their life partners with their, with their new spouse and, and uh, start their childbearing years. And, and it's a, so it is a time of enormous change and it is truly a crucible for those who are undergoing it. And, uh, you reflect on your own life and you can see that it's just a human reality that we need to protect. I think I, I just see it as being an enormously, uh, beneficial, uh, item that is worth protecting. And, uh, I, I wish that we could I, I hope that we can maintain it. However, let me make sure let me make sure I get this piece of my of my bias on the table for the, our listeners, and I hope we have still have some award. No, we do. That, uh, that my projection of what is going to be the outcome here, I think, is going to take the rest of this decade, the rest of the twenties. The, the the 2020s all the way up to 2030, I think it's going to take each of those years to be settled into the final form of intercollegiate athletics because the amount of litigation and legislation, politics, et cetera, that's going to occur, market conditions for higher education, enormous change in that in that paradigm right now and even more coming. But I think that 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 the college football playoff constituency, college football playoff, which is the the old uh, the old uh, bowl championship subdivision group, which now is comprised of about sixty six schools, the Power Five conferences plus Notre Dame. Okay, about sixty six schools. I think that that group is going to shrink to somewhere between forty and fifty. I think that what they're going to do is they're going to define the threshold. You must have a budget of X hundred million dollars. A hundred fifty million is going to be, I think, a reasonable level that they're going to require that if you must have a way of guaranteeing that you're going to invest every year, your budget is going to be at least that level and it will be incrementally reviewed and increased in order to compete in that game. And they are going to become the NFL minor leagues. They're going to, they're going to compete for the national championships. Yeah. uh, And the SEC, the four remaining conferences from the power five, as you will recall, as informed listeners here will recall the pack, the pack 12 is no longer the pack 12, or at least it won't be starting next fall when it will be the Pac-2, because there are only two schools that didn't leave the Pac-12. Amazingly, Washington State and Oregon State are the only two, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do, and that's a little bit of internal battle. But the point is, it's going to be somewhere between 40 and 50 schools, and they're going to be the minor leagues. How that affects basketball is something I haven't figured out. 
But my opinion is they're going to stay, and those those student athletes may well become employees. I hope they don't, but I think it's a possibility. I think it could occur. And I think that the other schools that don't make that 150 or so million threshold will return to the they'll keep NIL that'll be a part of their paradigm but they will they will uh retain amateur status uh in every other regard and they will compete and travel and 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 function in that way they will be the amateur athletics the division 2 II and 3 programs there's a, there's no way that they would make that move and and of course division 1 FCS uh, which is what James Madison used to be, but now is making the move up to FBS, they will be in the uh, collegiate paradigm as well. Though That's my prediction of what is going to happen. Uh, but you notice I had some enormous gaps in there about how, how things are going to be done. But no matter what, no matter what configuration occurs, there are two realities. There are two realities that we must factor in in how we structure uh, the future of college athletics, and that is we must remember uh, the, the, the uniqueness of the 18 to 22-year-old period and uh, in life, and we must respect that and, and, and accommodate that in a way, because otherwise we will, we will damage the, uh, the leadership quality of people within our nation. We need student athletes uh, who have been trained and have been proven in the in that crucible experience to uh, be in leadership roles in our society because they, they are most accustomed to uh, competition. I'm not saying that they are the heroes of our country. I'm simply saying they are a vital force in the future. And the, the other thing is we must remember that the time and distance that the that the playoff of the college football the college football playoff the travel portion of that for teams when Rutgers and Southern Cal are in the same conference the Big Ten coast to coast if you're if you are Southern Cal you're uh, you're and if your volleyball team has to travel to Rutgers to play in a competition. Or if they have to go to Dallas, they're talking about taking Dallas and making it the place of interaction and a lot of competition occurring there because of geography. It's, it's, it still is transformative in the dynamic. Home, home events are critical for student athletes because an hour is an hour of travel and having to fly across the country for every competition. Or for every road game competition is, uh, is prohibitive and, and destructive to the quality of life for the student athlete. So we must remember those things. And I'll pause so, so my, uh, so our listeners can, can make their comments or questions, please. Okay. We're going to break for the weather, uh, Lord's weather. We'll be right back in a moment. Questions in the chat line. I'll be, con- I'll be checking them. Right back in just a moment. 
Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. The Kiara Grace Foundation proudly presents An Evening with Tim Tebow, Thursday, November 30th at the Touchdown Terrace at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Experience a once-in-a-lifetime VIP meet-and-greet with Tim. Hear his heartfelt stories and his unyielding dedication to the most vulnerable. With your support, we can extend the reach of the Kiara Grace Foundation to save precious lives in Latin America. Get your ticket before they sell out. Don't miss your chance to meet Tim Tebow, be inspired, and make a tangible difference. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Word Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather Report, brought to you by Lewis Oil, fossil fuel Chevron stations. By golly. Well, we've got a little bit of rain, believe it or not, and I know I did not do the naked rain dance. If we had a naked rain dance, it would have been a flood. But we got a little <laughs> bit of rain, and we're supposed to get a little bit more rain, so keep your fingers crossed, and if it doesn't come enough, I will come out of retirement and do the naked, yes, the naked rain dance. Well, we're looking forward to, there is some tropical trouble in the Caribbean. We don't know where that stuff goes. Right now, it's over on the western side of the Caribbean. We'll keep an eye on it for you. But right now, we are enjoying a little bit of a foggy morning and perhaps some rain today in the piney woods of north central Florida. 
Well, we're talking about Bill Carr. As you could tell if you've been listening, his knowledge is inexhaustible about this subject of college athletics, particularly football, and how it's changed over the last 60 years when Bill first played it and was an All-American for the Gators in 1966, out now to 2023, and name, image, and likeness, and the collective is upon us. So we're taking a look at the questions you've been sending in, and uh, they're all very good questions. We'll never cover it all, I've realized now, in one hour. We may have to have our esteemed guest back sometime if we can twist his arm. Um, A couple of questions now, Bill. Um, One is from your old buddy, Armand Wages, and uh, I guess you got to address it. Why did you quit being an AD? You want to take that on? Yes, well, Armand, as I mentioned earlier, yes, I'm very, very pleased to answer that question in detail. But um, I uh, I regret that very much now. I regret the fact that I left campus, and uh, but I was I was fatigued with the political dynamic of of an athletic director's role, and uh, that was certainly the case at the University of Florida uh, with uh, with uh, the all the complications that came with uh, with uh, the NCAA fallout from Charlie Pell. And uh, that was something that I just did not, uh, uh, that was distasteful to me. And it was one of the reasons that I resigned was uh, was because I just uh, felt like uh, the school needed new leadership because uh, there, there were, you know, I got, I got more than my share of, of, uh, of criticism for the dynamic uh, in, in, the, in that regard. Be, but in either case, at, at the University of Houston, look at that circumstance. I was there for four years and hired Kim Helton as the head coach, Kim Helton, who was a Florida Gator, a guy that I knew, a great coach, and I knew of, of his personal character and his capability. Uh, his brother had been my teammate at Pensacola High School, uh, and uh, and uh, Kim Kim was a great coach and, and did a fine job at Houston. But uh, – I was I was fatigued with the political dynamic and especially with in the financial regard to the vice presidents for finance and and how ADs and finance vice presidents. If you're at a school that was struggling for money, you were at war every day, every day. And uh, and and I was uh, I was fatigued by that and I just wanted to get a break from it. And so that's when I came back here to Gainesville and. uh but I started my company, and if I but if I had to do that again, I wouldn't, Harmon. I would have stayed on campus, uh, and uh, I looked into a couple of AD situations, and uh, uh, almost had one at a very strong SEC school. Uh, but the president of that school uh, that was making the decision had was literally in process of going there. But he was a vice president at the University of Florida at the time. And he was concerned about it, you know, the, the school absorbing him as a Florida Gator. And he was concerned about me as a Florida Gator. He felt like it would be too much. He said that he was open to hiring me, but he was concerned about the politics at that school. So he didn't. And uh, he hired somebody else who he fired three years later. <laughs> <laughs> who was quite inept, and I, I I knew that guy 
And I just said, wow, well, good luck with so-and-so, you know. But anyhow, those are, your question is interesting, Harmon, and thank you for your, thank you for your inquiry. Let's talk a moment about the collective. Um, I hear all sorts of numbers thrown around. Golly, is it true? Any part of it true, these numbers? Well, sometimes we're ignorant uh, because we, uh, we choose to be ignorant. And that's where I am. And when it comes to the precise details of NIL uh, and, and because I am totally aware of the fact that the NIL is, um, is in no man's land right now. It's in a model that, that cannot and will not work long term because, and why is that? It's because the institution does not have a sufficient say in how it's structured and how it's managed. And so, therefore, the line is constantly crossed between the NIL being a reward for your impact on the marketplace and the success of your sponsors versus being a reward for your coming to an institution in the first place and your performance as an athlete. You're contributing to the one-loss record. And that is not the purpose of NIL. That, again, the distinction is if if the NIL is the marketplace distinction, then you're not an employee and it's a 1099 form you'd get at the end of the year. And if you're if you're rewarded for being at a school or, or for your con- contribution to their team success, you'd get a W-2 at the end of the year. And so think of those paradigms as being uh, realistic descriptions of the difference between the two forms of compensation, because the 1099 is what the IRS takes for the non-employee and the W-2 is what they issue for the, uh, for the employee. And that is, that is the distinction. But to do that, there must be changes in the IRS laws at this point. Intercollegiate athletics needs and deserves a separate category of of compensation, of for compensation. It's it's like the military. The military has its special categories of non-taxable benefits that we provide to our military people. They deserve that because of their sacrifice and their leadership, their contribution to the stability of our nation. And intercollegiate athletics needs it as well because it is, again, based on that expression, that metaphor of the crucible, it has an enormous impact on our nation long term. And the minute we don't recognize that, we are, we are damaging the, uh, the integrity and the, and the viability of our, of our local communities because we have an enormous benefit that comes to us from the, togetherness from the community spirit and from the benefit of our of our student athletes when they go out and are working uh in the community using their skills well can it can't the money that goes into a collective come from anywhere i think the money can come from anywhere but the question of the tax dynamic within it because you know the reason some people uh invest in certain endeavor is because of the tax ramifications. 
and it needs to be structured in a way where athletics, the athletics department must ultimately determine who gets the money and how and why. And current IRS laws and policies do not permit that. And that it needs to be, it needs to be accommodated. And that's why it's not a waste of time to be working with the United States Congress as dysfunctional as it proves it is every day. We need to have those laws adjusted to an, to an enable that to occur. And it's going to take some more time to get there. I mean, those meetings are taking place now, but whether there can be agreements that occur uh, in the you know the near future, I think it's going to take the rest of this decade to make that happen from a uh, you know from a mission accomplished standpoint. To get well, does those- the NIL agreement go with the student into the trans- when the student goes in the transfer portal? Got a question here. Well, that's a that's a good question. I I I I would think that that would be at the discretion. If I were the company writing the NIL, I would want to have the the jurisdiction i would want to have the unilateral authority to determine whether i would i would pass that on to another school because if he goes to a lesser school to or outside of the region of my market as a as an enterprise as a commercial enterprise i might not have any need for that particular in, uh, individual any longer and i wouldn't want to have that uh, remaining commitment financially to uh to an image the uh, name, image, or likeness that was no longer profitable for my enterprise. Question here, can a University of Florida literally go out and buy better defensive players for next season? Absolutely. In the current in the current circumstance, it can. It can, and it does. I mean, that's what all the criticism has been about in the last couple of years. That's what the deal between Jimbo Fisher and uh, – and, uh, uh, you know the uh, Texas A and M. Yeah, we know, and yeah, Texas A and M and Alabama. You know, with Nick Saban, uh, that's what they were uh, at arms about against each other. You know, a, a year or two ago, and those are those are realities that the end. You know, and the and the circumstance University of Florida had with that uh, alleged thirteen million dollar agreement. Uh, you know, who came up with that? They never really identified. Uh, to my knowledge, who was the author of that of that endeavor? You know, somebody, somebody. All of a sudden, it was just discovered, and it was alleged to be a thirteen million dollar deal. But University of Florida was not willing to fund it. There's got to be control awareness and slash control, and where that where that uh, line is drawn is something that's to be determined legislatively. What's interesting right now in terms of women's basketball is Shaquille O'Neal's daughter has just agreed to come here, and he's a graduate of LSU. And well, she, she went to LSU and said, no, I want to come here because of the coach. I like the coach. She's coming. She's 6'4", and she's Shaquille's daughter, and she's going to play for the Gators. Well, I can believe that. I, I know the women's coach at uh, at Florida, and I've – I uh, I think highly of her. I think she's a very fine person and and a great coach. And I can understand how that young lady feels that way. And the 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 whole thing, the impact. You talk about a sport that's being impacted by the NIL. Wow. It's women's gymnastics. Women's gymnastics. Really? Been, 
is is really being uh, impacted. And, women's gymnastics. Uh, women's gymnastics, and you know, it's speaking uh, speaking the reality of the circumstance in the marketplace. The the female form, the beauty of of ladies and their and their appeal in every in every sense of the word, with their humor and their and their uh, their their capabilities, they are going to always move the needle for the marketplace. And the, uh, again, that goes back to what is the NIL? It is a function of the marketplace. It's not a performance. Yes, yes, your your performance in the in the competitive arena, your performance as a, you know, a great gymnast or whatever your sport may be, tennis or swimming, all of that's part of it, but it's it's your personal name, image, and likeness and how you convey that and present it in a supportive manner to your product, to your enterprise or the enterprise that you're partnered with that makes the difference. And there is a real distinction there but the institution, the, the higher education institution, must be involved in that you, for it to work. Because otherwise, the coach can, can uh, claim no responsibility. And uh, that just doesn't work. Because just ask Jimbo Fisher right now. He'll tell you he, the, that it's but, – but there again, he's being paid so much. But the coach that gets fired and and gets no no major compensation like Jimbo's getting, Jimbo may be running away from the from Texas A and M, running to the bank. I don't know. I, I couldn't speak to that. But I'd say uh, I'd say that uh, the people that surround him and depend on him are uh, are not crying at this point. Well, Bill, we're down to about three minutes left. I'm going to give you the opportunity to uh, sum up the points you'd like to make and uh, certainly like to have you back sometime because this is a moving target. As you said at the beginning of the show, it's uh, not in any kind of stationary position. It's a transitory. It's very much, you know, and I appreciate the chance to, uh, to have this commentary because it is, it is in my heart. I mean, I just in my heart and my mind and I'm genuinely, um, genuinely concerned about the future of intercollegiate athletics for the welfare of the individual student athletes and for the welfare of our welfare of our nation the public trust that intercollegiate athletics that's why higher education is a part of that public trust and we need to have the the leadership training that comes for student athletes and i'm just i'm just grateful for where we are uh, in in reviewing that and setting the plans for the future, and any time I can be of any value in bringing historical perspectives, the realities of the industry, uh, I'm eager to do that. So thank you for this invitation today, and I look forward to the next time we do it. Thank you so much, Bill Carr. Is just shared with you so much of his wisdom and expertise about where we are in college athletics right now. And it is not stable. It is changing and will be changing in Bill's thoughts for the next 10 years. It probably will take that to straighten this stuff out. Meanwhile, we got a coach who's going to laugh all the way to the bank and is a failure. How about that? Getting paid to be a failure. Wow. Thanks so much, Bill. Yes, sir. Talk to you later. Ward Hall Command Center out.